it has a massive plot twist. Are you ready? The level of detail that you explain it in, it makes such, such sense that I don't think there's going to be a single person watching this that isn't thinking, oh yeah, I can see that. I was so stuck in such an unresourceful place, so helpless, I felt so powerless. And it was because of I lacked knowledge, I lacked awareness. I was subconsciously punishing my body for causing me to feel feelings that I didn't understand and I didn't know how to deal with it. So many people want to do it all by themselves. And when you have to go and deal with your darkest shadow by yourself, your chances of sabotaging it is incredibly high. My own breakthrough was that I was avoiding the past. I based my entire life living in fear that it will happen again. People are addicted to a high-paced lifestyle. Why? We're addicted to the cortisol. We are addicted to the adrenaline. I feel powerless to my emotions. That's why a lot of people can meditate. Yeah. Because then they're ill. Because when that chatter stops, when all the chaos stops, when all the drama stops, we can't feel. I didn't realize consciously that I was designing something that wouldn't make you relive trauma. Well, uh, you don't need to know the root causes to heal. You know, fears, phobias, you know, emotional trauma. We work with pain, we work with addictions. I think is fundamentally different to so many different other techniques and so, so important. I'm so happy to introduce a new guest to my podcast today, Yvette Rose. Now, Yvette is an author of 19 books. Yes, you heard that right, one nine, quite incredible. Uh, she's a personal development speaker, event host, workshop facilitator, and she's dedicated her life to giving individuals all the help they need on their healing journeys. She's the founder of the Metaphysical Anatomy Healing Technique, which we're going to learn lots about today, a transformational approach that empowers people to resolve past traumas and embrace successful and fulfilling lives. Through her compassion, wisdom, natural healing abilities, Yvette has become a trusted source of support and transformation for individuals seeking a profound healing and personal growth. Now, I first came across you, Yvette, a long while ago, and this is a very well-used book. This big book, you would not believe how much I carry this around for me. And for those of you that haven't got this book yet, you will by the end of the interview, Metaphysical Anatomy, Your Body is Talking, Are You Listening? And we are going to be finding out a lot more about this today. But Yvette, first and foremost, very big welcome to my podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for inviting me first in. Thank you for the warm introduction and welcome to everyone who's also listening here with us. Thank you for your love, your time and your energy. And I'm doing actually really great today. Today is Monday and I love Mondays. I love the start of the energy of the week, you know, the anticipation of getting into projects. So today I'm feeling very excited. So I'm glad that we chose this day just energetically for me as well to really dive into this wonderful time with everyone here. So I'm so excited. I can feel the energy. I can feel it. It's amazing. I just wanted to say that today's episode is sponsored by ASEA redox signaling molecules. Now, it comes in two forms, the liquid and the gel, plus there's a huge other product range for us. Um, but why did I start taking ASEA and why is it now an integral part of something that my whole family, both four-legged and two-legged, take every single day? 
plus also something that all the clients I work with, again, four-legged and two-legged, it's number one on my priority list. Well, part of what I do, what I'm passionate about, is understanding the challenges that are affecting each and every one of us in today's modern living. Um, the more you know, the more sometimes you wish you didn't know, but the pollution in the air, in the water, in the food, um, the control of our minds, the propaganda. But one of the things that we can do is take back responsibility for our own health. Now, every single cell of our body, whether we're an animal, whether we're one of the dogs in the backgrounds or one of my plants, contain these redox signaling molecules. And cellular health and cellular communication is absolutely key, whether you want to get your body back in balance, whether you want to reverse the aging process, whether you want to address any particular challenges that you've got physically, emotionally, it all starts with healthy cells. If your liver cells are healthy, your liver's healthy. If your brain cells are healthy, your brain's healthy. But just like a mobile phone, most of us have got mobile phones that we we use on a routine basis now. But that mobile phone, regardless of whether you've got the latest model, is completely useless without a signal. So what does this technology do? Um, the the gel is something that you can apply topically over particular areas of concern, whether you want your skin to look better, whether you've got cellulite, whether you've got an area that's causing you a challenge. The liquid is something you drink each and every day to top up what should be in your cells anyway. But when our bodies are stressed, diseased, challenged, or as we age, we make less of them. So personally, I wouldn't be without a tip. My sleep's better. My energy levels are better. My mood's better. My mobility's better. If you want to find out more, the details are below. But I'm so grateful that this came into my life and I'm so grateful I can share it with others. I hope you love it as much as I do. Let me know. So let's start off because we haven't had you on the podcast before yet. Can you just give an introduction as to how did you get into this healing journey and helping others along theirs? I would love to because it has a massive plot twist. Are you ready? So I started out as a child where I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a crime scene investigator. I loved the mystery of the body and understanding and looking for symptoms and signs. And, you know, how do you put things together? Why did this happen? You know, what's a chronological order for someone's behavior by doing that? You know, I really was very interested in understanding the psychology, but from a more different perspective where I wanted to help people who were victims of abuse, victims of violence, victims of, you know, the sexual abuse and all this type of things. And what was interesting, what at the time, what I didn't realize was that this was a part of me. This was my inner child that was actually seeking my own justice. I was seeking my own answers because of what had happened to me. So my history, just in brief, you know, it also involved a lot of violence. There was a lot of sexual assault. And my dad was, to put it in short, he was a medically diagnosed sociopath. He was a drug addict. He was a very volatile person and man who could emotionally and psychologically not rationalize the way as we as average people would. Like something goes wrong and I'm like, you don't feel bad about it? My dad felt nothing. So for me, it, it baffled me to understand as someone who's meant to be a role model, how are we mismatching each other in mirroring? Like where, and my mom's the peacekeeper. She was the one that just tried to hold it all together. And 
I think I'm I'm saying because of her, you know, her influence, her calmness, her love, very spiritual person. But the typical empath that attracted the narcissist, right? So this is a perfect setup and I'm growing up on this platform. So this was actually where my life really wanted to deep down pull me into was to become the voice for others who couldn't speak. And I think subconsciously through that, I wanted to speak through myself in a way that made me feel safe in a way that made me feel worthy because my worthiness was a really big problem for me that held me back. So, you know, as we do as empaths, you know, we live our life and dreams through other people by wanting to sincerely help, but we get lost in that. So that's kind of like where my my journey took me. And so I actually studied. I studied my my LLB a bit and I started the investigate, you know, private investigator, um, the crime scene investigator um, studies as well. Until one day when I was in my early 20s, I was still in South Africa. Right. So I'm from South Africa and grew up in Namibia, but moved back to South Africa which was tough, you know, I was, I'm pulled into a world where there's no, where racism doesn't exist. And now suddenly, you know, there's, there's black and white neighborhoods. We can't talk to each other. And I'm like, well, my neighbor in South Africa, we were baking mud cakes just last week. And now I'm in a country where I can't ride on my bicycle to school. Like, what is this? You know? So for me, it took me back a lot of few steps as well. And, you know, with psychology, I had to go see psychologists. I couldn't adapt to this change. So this is where I got, fell in love with psychology. I'm like, wow, look at these psychologists. And, you know, this is really interesting how people are helping each other. And I went to a hospital once, a friend that was living next door was in a very severe car accident. No one was answering. So me and a few other people went together and supported him in this uh, South African public hospital. I mean, you walk in and you just have all these people just lying there because there's not enough beds. It's a government hospital and they were not doing well at that point. And someone just came in with a with an emergency patient with a wheelchair, just literally rolled in the wheelchair and said, puncture in the throat, help, need help now. And we're all standing in one room where five people are being treated by two doctors. And this wheelchair stopped right in front of me. And this guy looked at me and he rolled back and he was gone. And I sat there and it hit me. It hit me so hard. You know, this is someone's son, mm. husband. Um, you know, it, it ended up being, there was a dispute between the husband and the wife. She thought he was cheating. So she stabbed him with a, with a wire in the neck and it hit them, one of the main arteries. So you couldn't see the damage. The damage was internal. And I'm just like, this is what I would have to look at mm. if I really want to become what I'm doing. And the reality the true reality hit me of what I was studying for, what I was trying to, you know, grapple with and deal with. And I realized that I don't have the heart to do that. I don't have the heart to see this. I would be an absolute emotional mess. And I'm thankful, not for this person who that happened to, but this moment, because it made me realize I was stepping into the wrong direction. So I stayed in business um, studies and I went to Australia and long story short, again, at 23, I just had absolutely enough. My life was destructive. I was, you know, abusing alcohol and cigarettes and so many other destructive ways of exercise vigorously to just get the energy and the anxiety out. I had a lot of, you know, um, psychological disorders and stress and my trauma was coming out in such distorted ways because it was channeled in these studies it was channeling you know the release of my anger and everything was coming through in these studies by seeing it as a solution right subconscious solution yeah. and now I didn't have that anymore and boom that cut when I realized something has to give 
there's something going on that I need to look at. So I hit a crossroad where I decided this was going to be it. I was going to end my life when I was 23. And I called my boss five o'clock in the morning, left the voice message, hand over all my projects to her and gave all my passwords. And that was it. And I waited for my partner to go to work, said I was sick. And I Googled how to end my life painlessly. But what was interesting, what struck me is a message for the first time in my life came forward so strong. It was not an, I wouldn't say clear audience, but it felt like a voice, but it wasn't a voice. And mm -hmm. it didn't feel clear audience either because I have had clear audience moments now. And I realized now back then that wasn't really fully what it was. But someone said, you're asking the wrong question. How about how to be happy? I kid you not, it was so simple how to be happy. And I typed it in. And now, remember, I was raised Christian. I was raised with a lot of, you know, the God will punish you if you don't do this. God hates people who, you know, cause a sin. You are born with sin. So I'm washed in all this shame and all this God-fear-based beliefs. And now I'm seeing Doreen Virtue. I'm seeing Neil Donald Walsh. I'm seeing crystals. And I'm like, you know, so I went from being a Christian to becoming an atheist where I had, and I wrote about this in my autobiography, you know, where I'm like, F you, God, you know, I hate you, you know, you all this why did you allow all of this you know as a 13 year old I'm like what are you and so it was a very hateful relationship that I had with the spiritual side and now I'm confronted with having to step back into something that I absolutely hated that failed me but I didn't understand it of course as well as what I needed to so I took a deep breath and then the message came where I was like screw this you know this is nonsense what is this and I was very, you know, I was very defensive in that moment, but the message came again and it's like, well, do you have a better option? Look what you're doing. Wow. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to put my pride where it needs to be, which is on the back seat. And I'm going to just have to see where does this take me? Because deep down, I didn't want to go. I didn't. But I was coming from, I was so stuck in such an unresourceful place, so helpless. I felt so powerless. And it was because of I lacked knowledge. I lacked awareness. I just knew I was in so much pain and I knew something needed to happen, but I didn't know why. And I always say awareness of a problem is a problem to have solved. Because when you have awareness of a problem, then you at least can start looking what solutions to apply. I wasn't even there yet, right? <laughs> I was at the point of building the awareness. Yeah. And so... Yeah. So, and oh. so that's where I just dived into this. So three months later, long story short, again, three months later, I'm into crystals, you know, healing work, energy work, and I'm seeing the changes. And I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. And I quit my office job. I partnered up with someone else. We started a company with work that I designed and brought together and worked based on what I felt worked for me, because everything that we use in life has an expiration date. And, you know, it's kind of like, and it's because you grow. Because every tool and technique out there serves a purpose and they are fundamentally needed and important. And it helps us to support us as, as stepping stones. So I, I hit these stepping stones in these walls as well. And that's why I just designed my own process where it can take me a step further to where I personally wanted to be. And it worked. It absolutely worked. And so then, you know, put everything on YouTube and then the, the work went viral. And so people ask me, which I know you're probably going to ask me as well. So what was so different or great about what you were doing? Yeah. So the thing is, I I, I went through, and, and this is where the, the big plot twist also came in my journey, because I 
I realized what the uniqueness was of it. I didn't realize consciously that I was designing something that wouldn't make you relive trauma, but will uh, you don't need to know the root causes to heal. If you want to know the root causes, then you can jump into this. And there's so many other free references and resources that I have. But and you didn't need to know memories of what happened because some I, I remember a lot of things very clearly. Unfortunately, a lot of the abuse parts, but there's also other parts that I don't remember. Mm. And I'm sitting there and I'm and I'm and I'm looking at the psychologist and her lady that I was working with as a child. She's like, well, if you don't really remember what happened, then that's okay. We can talk about it and stuff. And I'm like, well, what's the point? You know, so okay. I had such an attachment to needing to know what happened in order to heal it, but I realized that that is what held my greatest pain in place. Sometimes we just have to let go of something that we always can dive deep into because if we have what's called implicit memories, explicit memories, sorry. That's when the brain, your left side goes, the communication lies, shuts down because of trauma. And then we don't have direct access back to the memory, but your environment can trigger the biochemical memory and response of those emotions. And it comes back and you have anxiety, you have depression, you have heart palpitations, and you have no idea why, because we can't recall the memory. So what do we do with these people? Do you just say good luck? No, because I was one of them. And so this is why I started to realize in my process and in my modality that emotions is very important to focus on because memories by the fifth time that we try to go back to a memory the 50 percent of its validity has changed because every time the state of mind that you're in and the way that you recall the memory and then the way that you file back the memory when you're done this constantly shifts and changes and adds assumptions and flashes and other aspects to this memory so the memory actually keeps changing I think that's a really important point, Yvette, for people yeah. to realize that, you know, this is the, one of the things that I just think is so powerful. There's so much about your technique that the fact that you don't have to go back there and relive it, I think, is fundamentally different to so many different other techniques and so, so important for the for yeah. part of the reasons you said. But also about one of the things I love that you talk about a lot is the completion of the trauma and the different ways that you know, animals you will see shake and then shake it off, shiver and then shake it off, whereas we don't see that in the humans. Can you talk us through how significant that is in your technique? That is tremendous. That's actually really super important. Now, what's great about the technique is that we don't have to shake, but yeah. the body forgot how to complete its trauma process. And that's because we, what, 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 what would you do, right? If you, for example, had not a lot of experience with healing work or anything like that, or how to assist a traumatized person. I mean, even the emergency response systems, I, 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 I hit on their heads quite hard when I was teaching in Germany. And there was actually one person in there from this response team that was just quite interested in the work. And when he heard my theory and reported it back, they started to change how they deal and respond to traumatized victims. Because firstly, what will you do if you see someone hyperventilating? We panic. Oh, yes. oh goodness, you know, what do we do? Get a blanket, breathe, 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 you know? And it's like, lie down, lie down. You interfere with the process. Oh my God, that that locks in the process because the person now doesn't feel safe. Mm. Your body will only regulate a traumatic event when it feels safe. But it's the, how it reaches the point of safety, that is fundamentally important. So if you want to be part of someone's solution, if someone hyperventilates, and I'm sure anyone that suffers from anxiety or panic attacks, which I did, and what I found works for me is if you put your shoulders back and you look up at the roof and you just open your mouth a little bit and breathe. 
Because what happens is when you hyperventilate, the body goes into a state of fake hypoxia. It thinks that it can't breathe. And yes. when the body thinks that it can't breathe, it gets stressed even more because now it's now it's faced with a threat that it doesn't like because it's the body's sole job to keep you alive. If you can't breathe, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. And the body knows that. So now the body's going to go into even more hyperactive mode trying to get you out of it. But if you just do a simple task like that and you and the body can feel, oh, I'm breathing, wait, 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 I'm okay. There's someone next to me that is calm. That can give me calm advice, the compassionate witness, right? Dr. Robert Skyar and uh, Dr. Robert Levine, they all talk about this, the compassionate witness. Listen to the word, compassionate, not freaking out, nut job, you know, support system that's panicking there with you. Same with someone in a car accident or that just witnessed a severe accident. What do they do? It's very often that they start screaming or they start to shake. And what do the support people do? Oh, let's put a blanket over you. The body goes cold. And it's not because you're actually cold because of shock. The body's trying to induce the shake response so that the autonomic nervous system can shake because that's how it regulates itself. But what do we do? We tranquilize, we put a blanket over. So we literally stop a natural healing response. And the moment when you interfere with the healing response, you have just added at least 10 to 15 years of psychological work for that person to get back to that trauma and to shift it. Wow. Right? So this is very, very important. If you don't know what to do, the best thing that you can do is just to stay eye level with someone, neutralize your voice and keep it very calm. As I'm speaking to you right now, you're in control. Everything is okay. Because if you're not panicking, the other person is going to be like, well, it should be okay. Right? So a neutral voice actually has an effect on the hippocampus. That's our emotional brain. And it has a very soothing effect on the amygdala, which is our panic button. It's soothing. That's why it's almost, I call it like reading a bedtime story to a child voice. Right? Because the amygdala has the maturity of a four-year-old. So it's important, like, what would you do with a four-year-old child having a massive meltdown or tantrum? Stay calm. <laughs> it's the same for us, right? Same for us as adults. So I went to a lady that caused me to relive a trauma because that's how she shifts trauma. Well, that's great. You didn't tell me that. No one wants to relive sexual abuse because that's yeah. what the session is about. And she had the same trauma. And when she saw my response, which was very severe, and I, I'm not going to go into it because I, I, this is not a trigger show. This is a healing show, but it was very bad. And she couldn't get me out of it because she was so triggered by seeing me. And here we're both triggered. And I called the taxi. I said, I need to go. And that's when I called a friend. I said, here's my, here's my technique. Talk me through it right now because I, I, I can't think straight. And she talked me through it. And 10 minutes later, I was regulated and I was back on track. Because the thing when we work with MIT is that we work with emotions. I don't care what the gory story is because a lot of people don't want to go back to that. And that's okay. But what people can talk about is how do you feel in relationship to that? Now we're getting to it because emotions are accurate. Emotions are, is what I would call the GPS of the soul. But we set up our lives to avoid emotions because we don't like to feel what we feel. We feel powerless in relation to what we're feeling. But what's frustrating for me is when we, when I realized, you know, my own breakthrough was that I was avoiding the past that doesn't exist anymore. But I based my entire life, my coping strategies based on something that's not real, but living in fear that it will happen again. 
And I made my future decisions constantly. Every decision that you make in that state of fear is defining your future. So you're building a fear-based future and most often making all the wrong decisions because it's not coming from a place of clarity and calmness where you can feel your way through it properly. Because if you can't feel your emotions, your intuition is going to be shut down. So how can you listen to your spirit guides? How can you listen to divine guidance? Period. People tell me I can't connect to my intuition. I'm like, that's nonsense. You absolutely can. What you can do is feel your emotions because that is what you haven't befriended and seen it as the tool source to as an access point to resolve most of your problems. This is so powerful. Honestly, I'm I'm you know, I've been following your work for years, but this is so brilliant because so many people at the moment have had with the world situation that's going on, people feeling yeah. Control, not trusting. I'm not going to go too much into it because we're on YouTube and it's very heavily censored. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It comes in so many different ways. It comes in a personal level that people have experienced either in this lifetime, ancestral trauma, which oh, yeah. you cover a lot of in your in your book, but it also is sort of this collective trauma. Um, when you said something really powerful about when you have the awareness of what some of the issues are you're halfway there and a lot of people are waking up to thinking wow life isn't as I thought it was I don't necessarily have controls over things I thought I do and they're in this fear response and they're making decisions going forward based in that fear response so your technique can be applied to all these different areas can't it absolutely so we work with you know fears phobias, you know, emotional trauma, we work with pain, we work with addictions, we even go as far back as to, hence why I actually wrote this book, my latest research is actually in this book, you know, psychosomatics for for children, it's another big book, as you can see. And what what happens is we don't, I know that we have a a biological platform that's already laid out for us, you know, I, I think over 400 predispositions and everything is already laid out. But and that's before we even reach, you know, the, the developmental stages in the womb. But yes. now what happens is on top of these, you know, characteristics and everything that's being built, your mother's experience plays a fundamentally big role. I, I spent almost an entire day on just that because we always thought that the placenta is a barrier between the mother and the child. It's not. It's absolutely not. Research has now blown that out of the water. Mothers who have cancer that that gives birth to children with tumors and cancer. Like, you know, if if it really was a barrier, then why is this happening in the first place? And so what scientists found, what I finally found as well, was that when you look at the protein cells, which is part of a much bigger part of a cell, but when you look at the specific protein section, these cells are responsible for um, the, the health of the placenta. But these protein cells store and hold the mother's trauma. Wow. Did you know that? That is, that, is a fundam- that is huge because the placenta is what? It's the startup of your being. Yes. It's the startup of your being. And cortisol is poison. It's mm. poisonous. To a child, because what happens is, I mean, a certain amount of cortisol is healthy. It helps with growth and nerve factor, all these things. But an overproduction of it and and staying it into long periods of time can actually damage the placenta. It can cause learning, the brain dysfunction in children with learning problems, you know, lisping problems, um, organ failure problems. It can cause a lot of deformities um, psychologically and even physically. So when they say that a pregnant mother should relax, 
it's people shouldn't people don't take it as seriously as what they should. They don't they don't seem to understand the impact of what can happen when the mother is pregnant. And I'm very conscious of that. I'm, I have my rituals of you know cleansing and energy healing for this one. And also when I had Zaya, all these things, I'm very conscious of it because the more conscious we are of it, the more awareness we have of it, the more we can take the right steps to start to improve this. But some people are like, well, I didn't have the awareness when I was pregnant. Can I still change it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's been shown in my research as well, again and again and again, when mothers work on the womb trauma that they had with their children, tremendous. And you, even the men, you know, they can go back to the time when they were in their mother's womb and do the work and, and you know, regulate things and, you know, differentiate between what my mom is feeling and what I'm feeling, her stress, her anxiety, her everything. So it's, it's, absolutely amazing how deep this can go and then coming back to emotions one more thing i want to add to this that's very important but people don't look at is our instinctive responses oh that's yeah. one of the male culprits why we don't heal why remember emotions and instincts fire together and whatever in the body fires together is going to wire together which means it formulates together as a memory cognitively and throughout the cellular memory of the body and also the muscles that's dedicated to our instinctive responses and our nervous system you know that helps with communication so when a subconscious memory is triggered what is going to happen Right. The memory is going to come up. You're going to feel all these emotions. So you have emotional responses and memories coming forward, whether you are aware of it or not. But you have instinctive responses being triggered as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now and yeah, so a lot of people just look at emotions. How do I feel? How do I feel? Well, I feel like hiding. OK, well, let's let's work on that. Well, the body's going to go like, well, no, I, I need to keep my hiding predisposition. Sorry. <laughs> so the yeah. body's going to stop. It's going to sabotage you. And then people wonder why they don't get better. There's a way to address the 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 reptilian mind right this is this is our pure instinctive responses now when you look at the back of your head there's a knob so when you look at that knob that's behind that's right below it that's the start of the reptilian brain everyone is about amygdala amygdala well that's great but it's a later development in terms of how it plays a relationship and role with the hippocampus and how it formulates memories together as well but when you look at the evolutionary process it started way back before anything else started right so it's one of the most hardwired processes and mechanisms that we have in the body. So when you look at why don't I get better? Well, maybe we need to understand how are we addressing this part of you that's purely programmed to keep you alive. It's programmed to keep you alive. It doesn't care about falling in love. It doesn't care about money. It doesn't care about any of these things that we're trying to achieve in life. It just wants to stay alive. So if you're working on a trauma that is held in place because it the body perceived a moment where you almost died mm. and now you're trying to resolve it, well, I'm sorry. I, I love a lot of things that are out there, but this there's a lot of approaches that's just that doesn't even touch on that. It doesn't touch it. So we might feel better in the moment, but it's not going to shift the actual trauma and allow this reptilian mind to understand and realize I failed to overcome this trauma in the past, but I can be okay now, 
right? So that's the difference between becoming resilient and becoming traumatized yes. is when you actually found a solution for the traumatic situation in that moment or shortly after. Hence why <clears throat> if you had access to the right thoughts or emotions or you had a compassionate witness support you through that, your chances of feeling resilient in that moment and overcoming it and for reptilian mind to feel actually more confident in relationship to that traumatic event is higher than someone who felt like they completely collapsed and people who struggle with the freeze response take to struggle a lot more with that as well, right? Because it's like, you just freeze. There's no looking for resources or anything or trusting the support that might be there with you or a, a compassionate witness, of course, would have a much higher chance. So when you are a parent and your child runs to you, you're the compassionate witness. Mm. So that's, you know, it just gives you a really beautiful example of how it can help a child and how being a compassionate witness can help a person to regulate themselves. But so now coming back to instinctive responses, this mind, this reptilian mind needs to understand that it's safe to let go of this. So there's a bit of prepping, there's a bit of talking to it, there's a bit of connecting to it, but also dismantling the relationship that the emotions built with instinctive responses. Because, and I, I don't care who wants to debate with me on this, because with the thousands of people that I've worked with and the patterns and the algorithms that I've seen, the instinctive response is, tr is triggered first every single time. I don't care what you're doing. Whether you're pouring a glass you and you nearly drop the glass or whether you're sitting there and a friend tells you, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. And like, oh, I feel really sad. I feel very emotional. And now you feel like you want to go home. You want to sit in your room. Your instinctive response is fired off first because they are wired nonstop. They've even shown that the subconscious mind, which is also, of course, deeply connected to our instinctive responses and how the body wires and listens all the time, that even when you're in an operating table, this happened in Australia, where, you know, things were said about a patient while she was absolutely knocked out, full-blown yeah. surgery, and she could remember it. Don't mess with the body because it's a lot smarter <laughs> than what we think it is, right? Yeah. People just can't tune into it, can they? So we've... I think of it, we've, so many people yeah. live so disconnected from nature that they've lost all connection to cells. So most people can't even identify what foods agree with them and what people don't. And, you know, let alone sort of anything, well, that's pretty much a survival instinct, isn't yeah. it, anyway? So how do you start that process of people reconnecting in to themselves, their intuition and their instincts? Firstly, we have to befriend our emotions yeah. and realize because now what we have wired ourselves subconsciously with is that I feel powerless to my emotions. I feel helpless when I feel. I don't like to feel. That's why a lot of people can meditate yeah. because then they feel. Because when that chatter stops, when all the chaos stops, when all the drama stops, we can't feel. <clears throat> and what happens is people are addicted to a high-paced lifestyle. Why? We're addicted to the cortisol. We are addicted to the adrenaline. Why? Because it gives us a high, you know, the, the blood flow vessels are wide open. We feel the rush. Pupils are dilated. The brain is thinking more clearly. So we actually start to associate <clears throat> anxiety and drama with alertness and, and performing. That's yeah. why a lot of people who procrastinate, who, you know, leave things to the last moment and then they panic and it's, you know, blah, 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 and then suddenly they get everything done. And then they have a breakdown because they can't keep up that pace over a long period of time. Mm. 
Or we live our life in a way where we might work really hard, but we feel like we're doing actually okay. I'm exercising, I'm eating all right. But then suddenly people come to me and they go like, Yvette, well, I, I, I suddenly started insomnia and now I have anxiety and now I have depression, but my life actually feels really great. And that's because we've wired this path. Like if you look at a cornfield and you walk a path every day, you start to see that path because the path becomes so clear and you start walking through it much faster because you don't have things to clear out of the way. The mind works the same when we when we adapt to a certain behavioral pattern, like we get to the end result much faster, which could, which could now be the reward, but also then the anxiety. So with the faster we get to the reward, it's like, well, now it's, the, it's wearing off. The excitement's gone. Now I need to figure out something else. What else can I do? What else chaos? What other drama can I create? So over time, we subconsciously start to get addicted to this toxic way of life, right? All these, you know, fake false dwarfin releases and rewards yeah. is happening. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a toxic um, way to exist. But then we also have the other flip side where we have people who would, you know, get stuck in behavioral patterns to avoid feeling certain emotions from the past, right? So because, if, for example, if you look at a plant that has been in the desert and it hasn't had rain and it's about to die and you give it a drop of water, oh, wow, you know, it's like because the contrast of in relation to what I've had all this time, which was the stress, and now this comes the relief. But the drop in reality is 5% yes. of what your true yeah. reality is. But in that moment, that drop feels like the 95%. Mm-hmm. And so we set up our lives to get back to that 95%. So we end up chasing something that is not even that important or that relevant because we're looking for that instant relief. And that's how we get addicted to that. And then we, you know, once the addiction is set in and the pathways are set in, it's much harder to break that. So we're dealing with conscious and subconscious addictions to either emotions, food, lifestyles, coping mechanisms, and and brain chemistry. So we're sitting with a lot of this drama right now. And because of the complex frontal cortex that we have, because of the hippocampus and how everything is wired together, we can rationalize our way into knowing how something is unhealthy for us, but we can rationalize why it is good in that moment, right? So we're not as primal as what we used to be where we can go like, well, but that's stupid. I'm going to go back to where I was. It's almost like the complexity of what we have right now, as great as it is, as amazing as it is for our breakthroughs, which often is actually now becoming to our detrimental with all this AI stuff that's going on. And I'm like, well, we need to use this intellectual side that we have and, and build common sense around it because we're literally just being led by what we want and how that instant gratification is going to make us feel. So the first step is to befriend your emotions because the biggest problem that we have right now, and that's why I love the book, The Body, you know, it's all about the body and feeling, is that we made a negative association with the body because when you feel trauma, how do you feel? It's terrible. It's yes. not a good feeling. And especially it's a terrible feeling when you can't overcome the traumatic event. So now what do we do? Oh, this body is terrible. It's bad. You know what I did? I abused the hell out of my body. Mm-hmm. I had bulimia. I had anorexia. I was exercising because I was looking for that relief to the point where the doctor said, your muscles are falling apart, Yvette. Your, your tissue is deteriorating. You need to stop. Right. So, and I didn't stop. I didn't care. I'm just like, I just want to get out of these feelings. So I I went on the self-destructive path where I was subconsciously punishing my body 
for causing me to feel feelings that I didn't understand and I didn't know how to deal with it. Firstly, what happens is, and I think when you feel something and you don't understand it, is be okay with not understanding. But feel hopeful that there are people out there who can help you to understand it. That's the good news. We're not as unresourceful as what we think we are. Mm-hmm. Now, shame plays also a very big role you know, in relationship to asking for support. Because what is, first of all, your relationship with support? Do you feel comfortable asking for support? Were you shameful asking for support in the past? Mm-hmm. So many people want to do it all by themselves. And when you have to go and deal with your darkest shadow by yourself, your chances of sabotaging it is incredibly high. Yeah. It's very high. We we sometimes need that compassionate witness that can help us. But meditation also, firstly, is a wonderful source to help yourself. And, and that's why I, I, you know, I had to learn how to meditate. And it took me quite a while. I hated meditating. I hated those that voice and that that those feelings that came up. And I'm like, God, I don't know what to do with this. What is this? You know, and I'm like thinking of, oh, I'm going to go have a glass of wine. I'm going to go do something else, you know, yeah. have a pizza or watch a gory movie or something that can get me out of it or a funny movie, whatever. So we need to understand that if the bo- if you are in pain, your body is in pain. And the body can only support you with the tools and the permission that you give it to. Reason why is because what do we do when we see someone crying? Oh my God, here's a tissue. Oh my God. You know, when people do that, I just, I just, I just want to hang my head because that's a trauma cycle trying to complete itself the body's trying to regulate itself and if you shove a tissue in someone's face with as the much love and compassion as what you meant by that you just disrupted the cycle now that person has to somehow find a way to come back and deal with that instead ask the person what do you need right now Mm. because the moment when they express what they need and there's a solution to it That is how you become resilient, not by forced support. And we don't understand that. Secondly, when we cry as a child, maybe we were smacked or beaten up. I was smacked to the oblivion. You know, my dad was a very violent man and he didn't tolerate or understand a child that couldn't regulate themselves. So, you know, and now when you look at this, what does the body associate with crying? Shame, Mm. trauma, stress. How messed up is that? We associate trauma with the very thing that's meant to release trauma. That's why people say, well, Yvette, well, if you say that, then why is it that I'm always crying and I don't feel better? I'm like, well, do you feel safe crying? No. I'm like, well, there's your problem. There is your problem. You cry, but you still feel shame and stress and the body can't regulate itself because it has all these blocks that it can't get through. Hyperventilating is another point that's actually, it's a trauma cycle completing. Shaking is a trauma cycle completing. But look how we respond to these natural cycles actually completing themselves. The body doesn't feel safe. It's interrupted. Oh, I'm, I'm doing something that's meant to release. Oh, oh, you're saying it's wrong. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. what am I supposed to do now? Shut down. And it stops. So what happens? The adrenaline, the cortisol, the memories, everything becomes boom locked into the cells, locked into the muscle memory. And where does the cortisol in the body go now? Where? Crying helps to release all the pathways for releasing it. Yeah, it's just incredible. It's so 
you know, so many people have, have heard of, you know, Louise Hay's emotional links to disease and things like this, but the level of detail that you explain it in, it makes such, such sense that I don't think there's going to be a single person watching this that isn't thinking, oh, yeah, I can see that. I mean, do you find most people come to you because they've got a serious health issue to address or a serious trauma that's, you know, they can't move past? You know, that's a great question. I have all sorts of people coming, people with abundance blocks, people with business blocks, success, um, fears, uh, childhood trauma, anything from, you know, severe abuse to, you know, emotional neglect abuse or people that are just stuck with depression or anxiety, all of them with ailments, yeah. with pain, addiction. So yeah, we 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 do our best to tackle as, as much as we can, but also to remember that, What's most important is to keep the focus on your quality of life, because if your quality of life is healthy and good and your mental health is doing well, the body over time will regulate itself. Yeah. People don't understand that. Wow. Well, but you didn't you didn't fix my my stage four cancer. And I'm like, well, we, we need to look at how you got there. You know, because people with that condition, as an example, they're normally the happiest people. You always think, well, why is it happening to that person out of everyone that I can think of? And that's because they're not worthy of claiming their happiness. Yeah. Right? So if your quality of life and your truest expression of claiming your happiness and feeling worthy of that happiness is, is not fully in aligned with the life that you're living, well, the problem is going to stay stuck. That needs to be overcome. That needs to be addressed. When you look at arthritis, you know, always feeling like you have to pick between two sides and always feeling like the, the ham in the in the middle of the sandwich, you know, trying to be the peacekeeper of everything. Well, screw it. Let people let people fight their battles. Why are you getting involved? This is not your life contract. You know, get your boundaries aligned, you know, get your self-worth aligned. And your focus needs to come back to you. How can you heal if your focus is not with you? That's why empaths, they struggle with boundaries. They struggle with feeling people's feelings. And their life is, is, is a living misery. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. I used to be an empath. I'm retired from that now because I have boundaries. But people don't realize that our in our psychological boundaries projects and translates into our energetic boundaries as well. Yes. Right? Yeah. You can read as much as you want about boundaries, but if you don't believe in that boundary and if you don't practice it and express it with, with neutralness and feeling worthy of it, it's not going to express in your energetic field. And anyone listening right now, I know that you have met someone where you speak to them and you just know what you can and cannot say. You just know, I'm not going to ask this question. You know, I really want to ask this, but I'm not going to ask it. You can just feel the... <laughs> the barriers in a very polite way, but you can feel it. And you're almost guided by what you're sensing. This is a great example of someone who has a firm and healthy grip on their boundaries. I think it's such yeah. a massive, I, I, my, my brain's just ticking over all of this information because you can pull so many examples of, uh, oh, yeah. 
uh, of everyday lives and what people are going through. And there's a lot of projection at the moment. Do you want of, to give you an event example? Do you want yeah, to give you like do. a proper MIT example? Okay, great. So let's go back to people who are empaths, right? So this this is the best example because I relate to it really well because I used to be very much an empath. You know, I would see someone, and I'm sure all of you have had this. You see someone sitting there, their, their back is facing you. You can't see their face, but you just feel, oof. Yeah. You know, you feel heavy, you feel sad, you feel depressed, you feel a little bit just something is not right. Maybe you start feeling anxious or depressed. Now, what you most cases are picking up on and because your boundaries, your, your, your space is in everyone else's space and not deliberately. It's because we sense we're always caring. We're always sensing. We're always feeling what is going on. And empaths tend to also have a lot of their boundaries overstep. So there's 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 a there's a mismatch in relationship to where does people's boundaries stop and start. Now you can sense that and you can feel that, but there's nothing validating it to you. So how are you feeling it? This is now where the quantum field comes in, and our electromagnetic fields communicating from our side to that person. Because it's sensing. We don't realize it, but subconsciously we're always sensing what is going on. What are you doing? What, 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 what? Because if our boundaries are poor, we're going to subconsciously be in a state of defense all the time. Yeah. That's why empaths are also tired. That's why your adrenals are so tired. They just want to curl up into a pink blanket and just rest and fatigue and immune problems. And that's why we have gut health issues. That's now why we have autoimmune issues. Like we don't see how something so tiny can spiral, right? So now what happens is also what, and we, we feed that information back to us through our nerve receptors, through our neurotransmitters and the synapses as well that's moving back and forth because they generate the electromagnetic field, which is needed to be able to intuitively communicate, right? That's why you can communicate with um, a piece of metal, but there's not a lot of, you can ask it specific questions maybe, but it's not gonna give you intelligent information in terms of your future. Right, yeah. because there's no electrical feedback that's strong enough coming back to communicate with your electrical field. And so now when you look at that person and they feel bad, your information is communicating back and forth because electromagnetic fields have the capacity to manipulate and change atoms. Now, anyone who's a quantum physicist, you know, just take a deep breath because I'm not going to even touch on it. I'm not going to touch it. But in a very complex world, there's a way where these electromagnetic fields transmits your thoughts and feelings and what you're looking for and is reading back that person's emotions and whatever it is you know that's going on in their mind and heart back to this field into your atoms and through these senses we read that information by bringing up certain emotions feelings and thoughts and flashes so that we can relate to what we're feeling that's how our intuition works right so because empaths can feel so well they are excellent readers they are excellent psychics they can feel they are brilliant with it that's yeah. why they say sometimes the most traumatized people are the best psychics and it's actually true yeah. you know yeah and i don't mean it in a bad way it's just that they they the emotions they're actually pretty good with it but now of course you have people who are very shut down because of their trauma and they will struggle they most often struggle with their with their intuition and sensing and seeing and all these aspects and so because of this boundary overlap that's not so strong, we tend to take on what they're feeling, right? We tend to take on what they're feeling. So their memories coming into our field changes our atoms and we're reading that information. That's why it's important to do energetic clearings and space clearings to get this energy out of your atoms because we don't want to stay connected to that. 
But now if you have good boundaries, you can still be connected and realize that person's feeling harmful, but your boundaries can actually propel and actually push out any negative memories from staying with you because it's not mine. It's not mine. And your feel translates that. We don't understand and realize how incredibly intelligent this electromagnetic field is because not only is it a projection of us and our thoughts, it can handle commands. If yes. you yourself understand the command, that's the difference. So, so I, I hope that helps. That's a, that's a really great example of how it works and you know how we can also feel all these things but how your state of mind and your mental health can play a very good role important role like when i travel and to this day when i travel and especially if it's a long flight or it's long travels the mo the moment wherever i land that first day i don't leave my hotel room i don't leave my apartment or wherever it is that i'm staying i don't want people around me i don't want to speak to people i don't want to interact with people room service on the phone and that's it. And the reason why is because when you're also chronically tired or you are over burned out or exhausted, your boundaries are automatically affected. I notice that I get into spit spats with people when I travel and I'm adjusting, my energy field is adjusting to the place and to people. Of course, I plug myself into the grid and I do my thing, but I can feel because of the exhaustion, my boundaries are not as good. Yes. And I and I inter and I and I and I always attract people who push my buttons. And a lot of people who might know me, you know, I I I have a filter, yes, but I'm gonna let you know how I feel. You know, so and especially yeah. when I'm tired, I can sometimes be a little bit rude. I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. I can be snappy, I can be sometimes a little bit over defensive, but it's because I feel psychologically exhausted and that reflects also in my boundaries as well. It reflects in my energetic boundaries. So people can sense that, right? So, and people often re respond to that as well. So it's not that they're be mad, you know, um, mean or bad people. They're just also responding to me. And so I go out the second day and then everything is perfectly fine. I've just, you know, I've been to 43 countries and I, I you know, I, I, I'm an observer. I watch patterns that excludes cities. I think the other day I threw out like 400 flight tickets and, you know, that's between, you know, places here, 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 there, and that. And I, the, the pattern is so obvious now that it's indisputable to me personally, to me personally. So just something that I want to share to give you as an example also, that if you're tired, it adds to it. It just makes it worse. When you're tired, yeah, it's going to really show up the areas where you need to sort of do the work more so yeah. we hear so much about um you know how we all attract our own reality about how um we've got to do the inner work the greatest way we can be a change to the greater collective is to work on ourselves and this makes such perfect sense why because if we're not doing that work ourselves and don't have our own boundaries in order we can't possibly help I want to add to something what you said there that was so that's so so important and I want to say this to anyone listening that um have been a victim of abuse and someone who is struggling when you said there that 
you know, how we create our reality. There's so much truth in that. But something that I also want to add as an example of how we as humans with lack of awareness is, is creating damage. Because even though we are creating our reality, I'm going to give an example. I'm going to do this. So sometimes when I talk to someone and suddenly this person just triggers me and they've done nothing wrong nothing and I felt like I feel like I want to snap at them and when I look at them and I read the body I'm like and I'm and I'm realizing wow I was about to reflect her mother I was about to reflect this person's mother because that person was an emotional state where she felt vulnerable she said something and subconsciously she the inner child was expecting the mother to scream and shout at her right now and that was about to pull that experience out in me towards her. But because I had awareness and I realized, forget about the reading that I did. Let's pretend that I couldn't do that. But if you have awareness and emotional intelligence to recognize that how I am about to respond is not in context with what is happening right now and to stop that. That is our responsibility as the responder. Yes. Right? So was she about to create her reality based on her trauma? Absolutely. But did I stop it in its tracks? Yes. That's emotional intelligence. I can tell you. And this is why awareness of why we feel, how we feel, and the reactiveness that we sometimes have, question why you feel how you feel, question whether you are about to respond in context with what is really truly happening. Is this really matching my circumstances? If the answer is no, then you are playing into someone else's reality that they are about to create. And I think as compassionate witnesses, as compassionate human beings, if you choose to be that, then we need to be part of their solution and not feed into that. And let them understand that they can have a moment where they feel vulnerable, they are triggered, but they can be safe in that moment. Because subconsciously, they are expecting a response that's going to be upsetting or traumatizing. And this is what emotional intelligence also taught me. You know, this is something where this awareness, I cannot tell you how important that this is. Even if you're not interested in healing, mm -hmm. this simple advice that I gave you this can change the world. It really can. Look at politicians. Look at how they're reacting to each other. Yeah. You know, they put the mommy and daddy issues out and the whole world's paying for their bullshit. I'm sorry, but that's really what's happening. If they had the emotional intelligence to understand, well, if this person does that, this, this, that, is my response, you know, correct in relation to what's really happening? We know what's happening up north, you know? I want this, but I can't have it. So now I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to destroy you. You know, look what's happening there. We all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's a four-year-old's reaction. Like that, that's really sad. That That's tough. It's hard to see that. But this is what's happening. And this is what's lacking. And now these leaders are showing people how to act and react in a moment when you can't have what you want. Oh, my God. I know. You know? It's, 
It is it is so true that when you see it, you can't unsee it. And I think, you know, you've talked, I've heard you talk before about this, how crucial it is to understand whether you're really picking up, reacting from an intuition point of view or from a past trauma. And that is so, so tricky for some people to recognize when they haven't even asked themselves that question. I agree with you. But even I want for anyone in that moment, when they find themselves in the moment of confusion, ask yourself, is mm. my reaction in context with what's really yeah. happening? Yeah. Really, I can't I can't emphasize that enough because that is going to be your biggest breakthrough. Love it. Absolutely love That's it. That's how you're going to know my past is now being tapped on or maybe I am playing into someone else's wounds. Do you want to be part of the solution or part of the problem? It's a, it's the most important yeah. question people need to ask themselves now and how they're reacting. Because this... by everyone just asking themselves that question, Catherine, if 7,000 people can do that and practice that on a daily basis, we're shifting global consciousness. Did you know that? Yeah, completely. And and this is so real. I mean, you know, people talk about this an abstract <laughs> idea, but it's so not. And it's actually for those scientists out there, although I think there's a lot of people that are moving away from just trust the science. This is demonstrable. This is provable. And you can see it by the way that we interact with animals. I mean, my horse is my best teacher because if I'm oh. in a bad mood and I'm denying it to myself and I go into his energy field, he's like, get away, sort yourself out, and then come back in. <laughs> I had a show horse career. I had my own horse too. And oh. I understand exactly that dynamic that you just explained. Yes, and it's very true what you just said. It's so true. <laughs> I'm so lucky, you know, yeah. the animals, all the animals, the cats, the dogs, the horses, guinea pigs, rabbits, they all show you in different ways. You know, a predator yeah. animal will reflect back to you in a completely different way to a prey animal. And in fact, I could literally talk to you forever, but I really, this is such amazing information. I really just want to finish off by you provide so much information, not only 19 books have you got out there for people. I mean, it's an absolute must. I would say, you know, this metaphysical anatomy. I mean, I just look at this. You can see how many tabs I've got in here. I look at it all the time. I'm not um, judging. <laughs> yeah. How... How can people connect in with you? And you've got so many resources. Talk us through the resources you've got available to people. I love it. So I love to also help people as much as possible. There's a lot of people out there who are scared to ask for help or who cannot afford it. So in my MIT membership, matmembers.com site, I have tremendous amount of courses that are free that can help you work through emotions, especially when you go to guidedhealingsession.com. It will take you two steps to get to a healing session that's like half an hour long that can help you to meet your emotions and start to shift it. I have, um, you know, a lot of self-paced online courses about overcoming codependency, overcoming narcissistic abuse, how to overcome, so also how to find your purpose. Like this is a really big one for a lot of people, especially when trauma knocked you off your path where do you even begin how do you get back to that next month we actually launch how to release the shadow within and this is a brilliant course and it's a certification course also for people who are just beginning people yeah. who are just meeting their emotions people who like it's trauma work for beginners it's very gentle gentle introduction and where people can go from there if they want to is the intuitive body workshop that's a one-day workshop where you learn how to read the body like a book it's so cool you actually don't need this book to come so you can just come and we're going to show you teach you how does the body work how does this the science of the body 
body work. So if that is something that interested you today, you're going to absolutely love that course. And what you can do after that, if you want to, we have the MAT level one healing course. So that's all the healing work and research based on this book, two and a half day course. There we go deeper into how to release the trauma, how to release the memories, how to work with pain, how to work with all these aspects in the body. And then of course we have MAT level two, which is five days as advanced. Now we really go deep into the brain chemistry. We go into the nervous system. We go into all of these parts and aspects that we heal and release. And then of course, level three and four and so forth. So we go on with that. And my, my YouTube channel is a wealth of resource for all of you just to, you know, go through it, eventvideos.com. So if you guys just want to learn, you just want to understand a little bit better, you'll see the playlists so you can pick what kind of like stands out to you. And, you know, Catherine also says that <laughs> I'm an author of 19 books. So there's two sides of my personality. One is the healing event of yes. the psychosomatic, you know, queens. But then I also have a fun side to me where I love to heal with humor. Because when we work with trauma, I notice there's two audiences. One is the people who need to have a certain experience, right? They, they, they very into it. They're still going through the pain of it. But there's a lot of people who want to address the pain, but they need a lighter um, approach to it. Absolutely. So I actually created, I don't know if you saw my books. Yeah, have a look at it? Yeah. Brilliant. yeah. So I started this series called Unfuck Your Life. Yeah. Because people sometimes they need to laugh. And why? What happens when you laugh? You feel safe. You feel comfortable. Yeah. Now you're in a really good state to start to look at these deep things. So I talked about, you know, depression, anxiety, heartbreak, and all these books are snippets of what actually happened to me in my life. So I'm applying my lowest, darkest moments, but I weave wording and approaches to it. And you get a glimpse actually of my psychology. You get a glimpse of how I see the world. That is how I see the world. And it's from a funny perspective, but also, you know, honoring and respecting the seriousness of it. So when you are in a fun state, it's easier to digest the heavy stuff. And that's why I wrote that. So for anyone that feels I prefer to have the lighter side and digest the heaviness with that, perfect. That is for you. Anyone else that would like to just you know, I need to have this in in my way where, you know, things are not, you know, set in a certain way. That's perfect too. I have those resources for you as well. And that is my, you know, these books as well, including volume three, which is the metaphysical anatomy technique. If you want to read more about, you know, the stories and my life is also included in that. So I love to help as many people as I possibly can. People like, well, what's your brand? My brand is to support as many people and be of service to many people who are stuck in pain. Right. So, and that's why I branched out. And last year, I believe it or not, Catherine, I had a meltdown. I had a complete meltdown because I was so scared to launch this product line because it's not my brand. It's an offshoot of what I'm doing. MA, psychosomatics, I will always do this. This is my main, this is Yvette. Yeah. That Unfuck Your Life series is just a side to me that needed to be expressed. And my guides are like, Yvette, you do courses about authenticity, but you're not. And it was so in my face. And I'm like, wow, if you can be who you are and have courage and and self-worth in that, what are you showing other people? And I closed my eyes and I, and I, and I, and I sent the email and I said, publish. And, And I did it. I absolutely did it. It took me 10 years to publish that work. 
<laughs> 10 years. I absolutely love it. All of the vet's links will be below. There's so much there. I promise you, there's literally something for everyone. Your Instagram is also really, really good as well. So every way that you can connect with it, um, Yvette, and my call to action is something that you sort of said, everyone asking themselves, do you want to be part of the solution? And if you do want to be part of the solution, take a step today, whichever resonates you from all the resources that Yvette shared with you. I cannot thank you enough for this, Yvette. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for being with us today. Any final words you want to leave anyone with? Just be the light that you are. Remember that light and just be it. I love it. Thank you so much. Let us know your comments below. Let us know your questions below. And we will be keeping an eye on them. And I will hopefully be persuading Yvette to come back for a part two because we've got a lot to yes. cover. Love Catherine, it. I'm happy to help you answer the comments as well. If you if you just let me know where they are, I'm happy to help answer people's questions. That's so helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you for watching, everyone. Bye. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and I hope there's at least one thing that you can take away and apply to your own life or to the lives of your animals. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and if you feel inspired, please do share with your friends and family. My goal is to inspire as many people as I can to live their best lives, to stay curious and to raise their consciousness and that of the collective. So to do this, I need to reach as many people as possible, and this needs your help. If you feel drawn, would you be willing to share your favourite episode with five different people? This helps us spread the word and also helps me encourage some exciting new guests to take part in this podcast. If you feel drawn to do that, I will be very, very grateful. All the links and discount codes where applicable for all the products that I support are on my two websites, katherineedwards.life and katherineedwardsacademy.com. All of the products are personally tried and tested by me, my family and my clients. And finally, please do press the follow or subscribe button, depending which platform you're listening on. And above all, stay curious and stay free. <laughs>